Hey everybody, welcome to Latter-day Struggles. This is your host Valerie and I have Nathan here by my side. How are you on this fine day, Nathan Hammaker? <laughs> I'm very well. How are you, Valerie Hammaker? Good, good. So we are here today to pick up with our series on the book, Do I Stay Christian? with Brian McLaren, the author. And we are on part four of a five-part series. So, so far, what we have done is we have gone through six reasons to leave Christianity and six reasons to stay with Christianity. Okay. So what I want to do before we hit on the um, numbers, uh, reasons number seven and eight to leave and reasons number seven and eight to stay is Nathan, will you go ahead and just review through reasons one through six that McLaren um, invites us to at least contemplate good reasons to leave Christianity, Christianity, and then reasons one through six on good reasons to stay. Sure. Take it away, my friend. Number one on the, well, the reasons to leave. Number one, uh, because Christianity has been brutal to its mother, Judaism. Judaism. Number two, because it has been brutal to itself with suppression of dissent. Number three, because it's been brutal to the world with global imperialism and colonization. Number four is because of loyal company men, meaning uh, a greater emphasis on loyalty to the institution than to spirituality. Number five is because Christianity's real master is money. And number six, because of its uh, deep roots in white male patriarchy. Okay, those are pretty compelling reasons. Uh, give us some reasons to stay now, if you would. Okay, so the reasons why we should stay in the practice of Christianity. Number one is because leaving hurts allies and helps the opponents. Number two, because there are other options besides staying complicitly or leaving defiantly, uh, mainly staying and being defiant. <laughs> uh, number three, because he asked the question, where would you go? What is better? Uh, number four, because Christianity is still relatively in its infancy. Uh, number five, because Christianity has a legendary founder. And number six is because of the cult of innocence. Or in other words, innocence is an addiction, but the cure is solidarity, not isolation. Okay, very, very good place to start. So now we're going to go ahead and as we have in the last three episodes, we are going to hit two more reasons to go. And then we're going to hit two more reasons to stay. So reason number six to go or compelling reasons that you might find to leave Christianity. Number six reason is because Christianity is stuck. Or in other words, he talks a lot about this idea of toxic theology. Okay. In this chapter, he makes a comparison between Christianity and science and I'm going to go ahead and do a little bit of reading, and then we're going to just, um, once again, we're just going to sort of analyze this a little bit. This is what McLaren says. Imagine if sciences, if scientists reduced science to a list of facts. Imagine if scientists stopped being curious, stopped hypothesizing, stopped designing experiments, stopped replicating these experiments, and stopped subjecting findings to peers for review. Imagine if scientists spent their time policing fellow scientists to be sure they remained faithful to those lists. Science, you might say, would no longer be scientific. That's because the genius of science, its heart and its essence, is the scientific method, a method by which it can be, and in fact must be, and by, let me start that again. Um, 
That's because the genius of science, its heart and essence is the scientific method, a method by which it can and in fact must amend its facts. Its method helps it sail onward towards greater and greater alignment with reality. In that light, imagine a Christianity that deploys a reflective that, that deploys reflective practitioners whose quest is to follow the life and example of Jesus, teaching others by their example to live by Jesus's spiritual method of radical, non-discriminatory love and courageous truth telling. These disciples would be defined by their ongoing quest or mission rather than by beliefs that they hold at the moment. Now, in contrast, imagine a Christianity that tirelessly sends out belief teachers to promote a list of beliefs about Jesus, God, life, the afterlife, and then deploys belief police to be sure these, these, teacher these teachers are following the list required by their guild. These are two very different Christianities indeed. I shall pause there mm. because I want to hear your thoughts and feelings on what he is kind of trying to talk about, how toxic this kind of theology can be. Well, I, I think the his his kind of bottom line here is is that um, everything needs to be dynamic. Mm. That you never should stop learning. And he, in the same chapter, says that it's really quite arrogant to assume that you've come to a correct conclusion and that you know everything there is to know and there's nothing that you need uh, to continue to learn. <clears throat> and I think that uh, for me, that has been my experience is that as I have gone through my own life and seen how what I was taught has held up uh, against the real world, uh, a lot of it has stuck and a lot of it really makes no sense. And I have had to come to a place where I'm willing to learn from it and to be able to grow uh, as, as life teaches me my own experience. Um, he used an example that was really good. I, I thought a lot about this one. He talked about a scripture in the New Testament where Jesus was um, with his disciples and a woman who was not uh, of Jewish descent uh, she was a Gentile, came to him and asked him to bless her daughter. And um, he said to her, essentially, that I've I've come to the house of Israel and we don't give food to the dogs. And she said, but even the dogs can eat at the scrap of the scraps of the table of the master. And then he says, woman, you have great faith. And um, he points out that this scripture has, has been interpreted many times to... Uh, in, to, to justify uh, racism or to justify um, a chosen people because Jesus called the woman a dog or she call, called her people basically dogs. And, and she was begging like a dog at the table for a little piece of, of a miracle from Jesus, which he finally consented. And, and it made it sound like he was making an exception for her. And, and I've always interpreted it that way too, that he had come to the house of Israel, but he made an exception for this woman. And and McLaren points out, he's like, what if the, what he was actually doing was he was modeling for his disciples what they had been taught and then how they could go about changing their minds because he was about to introduce to them the whole concept of taking the gospel to the whole world, which they had never been, you know, the, the Jews for thousands of years have been taught they were the special people. And, mm. and maybe what he was actually doing was modeling for them the thought process that they needed to study upon and, and, and themselves pr predict. And that was really powerful for me. 
I was like, wow, that is a great way to look at it. But it's an example of how I had been stuck in a church. I have been stuck in a church that's very elitist and had interpreted that scripture to have an elitist meaning. Mm. And I have now learned that elitist can't be correct, but I, I never thought about that scripture in a different way. And, and Brian has opened my eyes to a different way to interpret that scripture. And I think that is a small example of a huge paradigm shift. It's, it's a one example, but it's kind of indicative of the whole paradigm shift that religion needs to go through. That's really interesting, Nathan. So I think what I'm hearing you say is that you took from that particular scripture this idea that he is challenging um, this idea that Christianity uh, is like that there's this story in the Bible. This is what it has meant, will mean, will always mean. Correct. And that's really interesting for two reasons. The first one for me is that I think the point is excellent. The second one is I'm just so intrigued with how one person, like you read the book and I read the book, obviously, and I didn't even like, I didn't remember that. Yeah. And that made such a deep impression on you. It's so fascinating how I think we learn and we pick up different things according to where we are and what we need to learn. Exactly. And that's the whole point. It's the whole point. We, you yes. and I have just modeled exactly his point, which is that people learn differently. They pick up different things. And when they come back together, they can share things that are so different. And when an institution says, no, this is the one correct interpretation, it squelches that exchange of ideas. Well, and you're reminding me actually of an episode that uh, we did just a few weeks ago with uh, Jody England. I did it with Jody England and she talked all about symbology in the temple. This is episode number 81 of Latter-day Struggles. And she talked about how the deepest and most important learning is all symbolic. There is no meaning that you yeah. put your thumb on that stays there forever. And as soon as an institution or another entity tells you what something has to mean all of the time, that is the beginning of a traumatic experience because that basically takes away my agency. It takes away my power of revelation. It doesn't build in for the fact that I have my own experiences that then inform how I see the world, what I need to learn, what I can learn if I'm allowed to take whatever I see in my faith tradition, in my scriptures, in a sermon, mm -hmm. take those things and allow those things to teach me from where I am. And we need a Christianity that can evolve. And I think that's what McLaren is saying here yeah. is that there's a, that a lot of Christianity does not allow for people to be their, uh, the scholars of their own lives. It does not allow the Christianity or the teachings or the doctrine, the dogma, the theology to be ever changing according to each individual's needs and wants. And what he says here is this, is Christianity or is it not allowed to evolve? He goes on to say, why can't we Christians admit that we, like everyone else in the universe, are in process? And that our religion, like all religions, is actually an event constantly unavoidably changing for better or for worse. Why can't we allow our leaders' job descriptions to evolve from, from belief police to actual leaders who help lead the way? Lead a discussion. Lead a discussion <laughs> and um, help us become actually uh, the captains of our own ship, right? In other words, not feeling compelled to force us to believe a certain way. And I think that's where he's really um, driving home this point that the, the theology that's toxic is the theology that mandates a certain belief system. Right. 
uh, one last quote that he says, um, let's see here, when he talks about how wonderful it would be to have this kind of leadership, he says, um, this kind of openness would allow us to utter one of the truest, most honest sentences of any of our lives. Wow, I really don't know. <laughs> it would then allow us to ask one another one of the most exciting questions of our lives. And this is the question. In light of this new universe, the conceptual universe of process and evolution that more and more of our descendants uh, will be born into, what can Christianity, what can we Christians become? This could rekindle in us a sense of wonder, which must surely be the most essential theological virtue of all. Mm. Ooh, I love that. That just yeah. gives me uh, chills all over the place. So that is uh, reason number seven, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Did you have anything you wanted to say? So about yeah, that? one mm -hmm. other thing Please. that I thought about, you know, he he kind of touches on this a little bit, but he he says, you know, in essence, that, that Christianity and that spirituality should be the journey. If if it's about right belief, then it's about the destination, and you're really not experiencing life. You're really not experiencing spirituality. Um, and he says, you know, my his experience, and I agree with him. I think it's my experience too, is that the journey is the lesson, not the destination. And so it's about making the journey, the learning experience and not someplace you get to. Well, and doesn't that actually corroborate perfectly with the idea that the kingdom of God is within? We're not striving for something later. Right. We can actually achieve heaven now. Correct. Yeah. Richard War says it's heaven all the way to heaven, mm -hmm. meaning that heaven should be now because it is the journey. Isn't so. he also say it's hell all the way to hell? He does. <laughs> <laughs> But, but that's exactly right. It, yeah. In other words, it, it's what we choose now. It's how we live now. It is the journey process that yeah. is the more important aspect. Yes. Beautiful. Anything else? Nope. Okay. So let's move on to point number eight of uh, good, compelling reasons to leave Christianity. And we're going back and forth. Right? Uh, we're going to do two of each. Oh, we're doing two of each. Yeah. Okay. I think that's what we've been doing so far. I missed it. Okay. All right. So uh, reason number eight to uh, go is because Christianity is a failed religion due to lack of transformation. So what he talks about here is he goes through and um, offers to us the promises of Christianity. And then he makes some pretty, I would think, kind of um, radical uh, conclusions that Christianity um, doesn't, doesn't uh, follow through. It doesn't sell um, or succeed in selling what it, what it professes to sell. He says this, it's apparent success. Christianity's apparent success hides its egregious failure. The religion has failed to transform a surprisingly high number of its adherents into actually Christ-like people. Some Christians become vicious, cruel, sanctimonious, monstrous. Um, no, hold on. Well, that is all true. But let all me... true. <laughs> okay, let me just repeat the. I want to quote him correctly. Some Christians become vicious, cruel, monstrous, and um, all the more dangerous because of their sanctimoniousness. Some become more judgmental, more narrow-minded, um, and they uh, twist the lyric of a beloved hymn that they were blind, and then they saw, but then they become blind again in a whole new way. <laughs> All right. So, and his essence, the essence of what he's trying to talk about here is that does Christianity actually, in fact, help people become more like their founder, Jesus Christ? And his contention in this chapter, at least, is no. Yeah, and it's related to the point that we just made which is that it's not about getting <clears throat> getting to a place or transforming over a long journey, but it, it's it's about, oh, if I have the right belief now, I'm done. I'm there. Yeah. And so 
you say, well, I've, I've been born again. I've accepted Jesus as my savior. I'm saved or I've been baptized or whatever, whatever that thing is that we think is the, the end point. Um, and what ends up happening is we start justifying everything that we do because we're done, we're saved. And so, you know, Christ justifies what we do once we're in that saved state. And again, it's missing the idea that the, the transformation comes from the long process. It comes from the journey. Uh, Richard War says that we, we tend to be ones who like to thank Jesus instead of becoming like him. Thank you for saving me instead of help me along this journey as I try to transform myself into the kind of person you were. I think sometimes we as human beings tend to be creatures of the course of least resistance. Definitely. And we actually sometimes may use Christianity or attendance at church to not be good. Do yeah. not be kind. We oftentimes may even use, uh, just to use some other examples, we may use psychotherapy to not grow. Mm -hmm. If I show up, sit with a the therapist for an hour and go through the motions of some sort of a conversation, I can say I did something without actually going into the deep soul work of self-confrontation. Right. And the same thing can happen in any other endeavor where we, uh, we go through the motions of something, give ourselves the uh, pat on the back for having finished something or done something. And in so doing, we don't actually engage in the actual process of growth, change, and transformation. And that's what, uh, that's what McLaren is basically contending in this chapter. He says this. Um, so he, he speaks of another book that he wrote called The Great Spiritual Migration. And he said, in that book, I propose that the purpose of the Christian faith is clear and simple. It is not an evacuation plan to heaven, but a transformation plan for earth, a transformation plan built on the strategy of helping people become loving human beings who build loving societies, following a loving example of Jesus. And then he goes on to say, I noted in all of my years in Christian circles that I was unaware of any well thought out Christian curriculum to help people actually mature in love. Mm. After 2,000 years, I suggested it's about time for the Christian religion to get serious about its only prime directive. Yeah. And I think that's pretty powerful. <clears throat> Help people transform. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, you know, I think back for, to you know, when President Hunter was the president of the church, and he said, make the temple the great symbol of your membership. Uh, and even Elder Renland, um, I'm sorry, Rasband recently giving a talk about uh, the temple recommend. They they really gave the impression that, you know, if you get your temple recommend and you're worried to go to the temple and you go to the temple, that that's the end of our, that that's the end of our, that was why we were here on earth. Check, yeah. check, check. Journey complete, ready to die. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I think things like that give the wrong impression. You know, we're, as Richard Rohr said, we're, we're here to become like Christ, not just thank him for saving us. Or, or like Brian said there, it's not an evacuation plan. It's a transformation plan. And so I think those two points really go well together, the, the stuckness and the failure to transform people. Yes. I think a lot of that actually speaks, uh, circles back to um, last episode where we talked a lot about uh, the corporate nature of religious institutions, which is really, if we really are serious about the prime directive of Christianity, which is to make people over in the image of Jesus Christ, uh, what we want to do is actually teach them how to transform so much so that they are not reliant upon the church. Right. And yet churches don't like to think that they can work themselves out of a job. Yep. And so, that. yeah. And so I think what, uh, what we really are looking at here is, um, 
is the possibility that sometimes it may not be conscious, but it may still be that the churches themselves, all churches, want, uh, it's a dependency model. And so if I keep you dependent on me, then you don't go away. If you go away because you become so transformed, uh, then that doesn't, that, that hurts the institution. Right. And uh, so there you go. These are all, I am actually noticing um, because we have gone into such deep study on this, Nathan, that some of these are definitely beginning to link each other and overlap each other oh, definitely. In, in a lot of different ways. So do you have anything else you wanted to add before we move on? Nope. Okay. Let's talk about uh, numbers, uh, reasons number seven and eight to stay Christian. Okay. First one is uh, to stay Christian. His reason is because I am human. I thought that was a weird title to this chapter and it took me a hot second to figure out what he was actually getting at. Um, and actually what would have been, I want you guys to, um, hopefully you're listening to these pretty closely together because this particular chapter, because I am human is actually very closely connected to reason number six to stay Christian, which is because innocence is an addiction and solidarity is the, is the cure. So in this particular section, because I am human, he talks about how many of us are really attracted to Christianity um, in our early years because we are uh, we really love the idea that Christianity makes us better than other people. <laughs> um, he says this, I have to be honest about this. Um, in the way that I was introduced to Christianity, to be Christian required supremacy. Supremacy was baked into our doctrines, our practices, our, I don't even know what that word, hymnody, hymnody? Hymnody. Yeah, that's not an LDS word. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's the hymns. That's... Hymnody, yeah. yeah. H-Y-M-N. Yeah, it's going to be hymns. Uh -huh. Okay, into our songs <laughs> and into our rituals. Let me be clear. I do not want to stay Christian if supremacy is part of the deal. So basically, he says, sometimes we, lead, we enter into Christianity because it gives us that warm, snuggly feeling that we are God's favorites, uh, that we're more beloved, and that we're better than everybody else. And yet at the same time, he turns this concept on its head and basically says a really compelling reason to stay Christian is because are we not leaving Christianity for the very same reason? Right. I'm going to leave Christianity because I have now discovered uh, the truth. I have now, um, I want to separate myself from you all because I now see myself in a different way as in fact, better, better. than you. So he says, here's the problem. If I leave Christianity to achieve innocence, won't I just be seeking the innocence of Christian supremacy to be purer than Christians, Christianity's purity culture by separating myself from it? Won't I be seeking some status of a different kind of superiority? Okay, do you want to add to that, Nathan, before we uh, go deeper into this one? Because this one was a bit of a concept that took me a couple minutes to like wrap my little brain around. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, what you're saying is all is all good. He then builds on it to basically say, um, which which I think is really uh, for me it was the salient point that this is this is not a Christianity problem this is a human problem yeah um, he he says you know he, he quotes I can't remember who, who gave the quote but it said uh, essentially if I have to choose between perfection or nothing it will always have to be nothing yep there is nothing out there that's perfect and he talks about you know that this is not a it's a human problem because if it wasn't in the name of a church that we beat each other up and felt superior it'd be in the name of a political ideology or it'd be in the the uh, name of a a cultural supremacy we, we would always be trying to find a supremacy let me uh, read that if i may sure okay so he basically is saying okay this cult of innocence is an incredibly 
uh, compelling temptation for all of us that we just want to walk away from things because they're complicated, because they're hard. And we want to just wash our hands of the whole darn thing because we're better than that. Now we've come to a place where we see the light. So he says this, but where does this quest for innocence stop? If Christianity is an embarrassment and bothers me, what happens if I dissociate from Christianity? I'm still, in his case, I'm still an American. Uh, what identity is more fraught with self-delusion and unacknowledged wrongdoing than American citizenship? And so does it mean that I need to separate myself from my religion and renounce my citizenship? And then what's next? I'm a big believer in democracy, so maybe I should identify with democracy in the abstract rather than with a specific democratic nation. But tyrants and con artists win de democratic elections every year. Besides, what good is democracy if it is owned and operated by those mega corporations and super rich oligarchs? Democracy, like other political oligarch ideologies, is likely almost as compromised these days as Christianity. Maybe I can proudly identify with an economic ideology. I can find my identity in capitalism or, or socialism or some clever mix of the two. But I know that no economic system offers us all we need in this dangerous moment of ecological and economic reckoning. There is no innocence there. Maybe I can withdraw into a professional identity, in my case as a writer or an educator. But I turn around and find the same problems I face in Christianity are chasing me in the writing and education fields. Balancing art and business, figuring out how to say and teach and why, knowing what people may or may not want to hear, um, what I really feel needs to be written and taught, dealing with privilege conferred by degrees and book contracts. If I keep separating from whatever strikes me as flawed, whatever embarrasses me, I will eventually find myself an isolated myth misanthrope, hating humanity as a failed project. And I'd be ashamed of that too. As evangelical theologian Francis Schaeffer often said, oh, this is what you were talking about. Mm -hmm. He said this, if we demand perfection or nothing, we will have nothing. Yep. And then he goes on at the end of it, he says, so we need to make an end game. And what would that end game actually be? Well, the end game would be to connect to everybody in love. So once we have a connection in love, that might be the appropriate end game. But the problems that we face in that progress to that end game are not Christian problems or Muslim problems or atheist or Buddhist problems. They're human problems. And so isolating it and saying, oh, Christianity is the problem is probably an unfair finger to point. Yeah. Very, very well said. Uh, this is all, uh, we are all uh, on a hero's journey if we so desire to go on it. We can find it here or we can find it elsewhere, but there is no, um, there's no escaping the complexities of life and systems and humanity. Uh, if you want to be a part of any kind of a community, we are going to find um, many of the same problems um, just wearing a different costume. Okay, so let's move on to the number eight reason of why to stay Christian. Um, and this is what he says, because Christianity is changing both for the worse and for the better. He starts by talking about, uh, this is a little bit of a repeat to uh, point number one, which is if leaving hurts the allies. So I don't know, maybe you can, if there's anything that is distinctive about this, Nathan, help me out with that. Mm -hmm. But he says this, in light of the remarkable breakthroughs that Christianity has had, how can we give up now? Across every traditional Christian denomination, there are widespread calls for change. There are imaginative scholars, liturgists, organizers, networkers, and pastors who are creating resources and spaces for beautiful things to be born. I've been privy to parallel conversations um, amongst 
Mormons, he did say that. Mormons, <laughs> that, yeah. uh, Unitarians, and other outliers to, to, to traditional Christianity, too. My understanding is that Brian McLaren just recently was at that conference that, oh gosh, many of you listeners are going to know exactly what I'm talking about, the Faith Matters Conference. And uh, basically what he's trying to say is there is a maybe small but but mighty army of us uh, in the Christian world in different denominations that are rising up and really, truly trying to make a difference one at a time. And I tell you what, there's only one way that reform ever happens, everybody. It's through these small but mighty, brave, strong individuals who dare to have a voice and ask for change. And so he's basically saying, this is an important time for us to, uh, to, to rise to not try to evangelize each other, to not try to change each other's to each other's brands, but to recognize that we are all, in fact, um, on the same team. This is a human problem, and we can all support one another with each of our own respective gifts that come from each of our respective traditions. Something else he says that I find very um, profound and compelling is he says, um, you know, if we leave, don't be mistaken. He says, if Christianity collapses, uh, don't you think that something even worse will fill its void? Don't you realize that the white post-Christian nationalism and other extremist ideologies are lined up on the internet, auditioning every day for their role as the successor to Christianity? So basically, if you leave Christianity to the fundamentalists, they will become extremists. And if Christianity um, it falls apart altogether, don't think that what's going to fill its void is going to be anything any prettier. Right. Because it ain't so. Yeah. So some other things I took away from that chapter um, that uh, might be worth talking about. Um, he he points out that there have been changes mm. and that there are things that are happening that are good. And I mean, I think we can see that in our own church. Social pressures have brought about um, some needed changes uh, in areas. Um, and so while it may be slow and while it may not be as complete as we would like, there is evidence that things have changed. Um, another thing that he, he says that I thought was very clever um, is he says, remember, it's illegal to flee a crime scene. Mm. Um, and it's got this kind of this idea of we've talked about this before, but, you know, where there have been problems and we've been part of those problems. It is somewhat of our responsibility to um, stick around and kind of clean that up a little bit. Yeah. And so I, I, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think having uh having our eyes more and more opened, at least for me, it becomes my own desire to be part of the change. And again, that may be different for every individual, but you know that back to he re referenced Amazing Grace, and um, I I really love that song because it does talk about I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. If we really do feel like we have the eyes to see some of the problems and also some of the solutions. Uh, to me, um, it becomes uh, an exciting adventure for me to be a part of that solution. He also talks about how sometimes institutions need to really almost be um, at their at, at at the point of collapsing before they have the humility to change. So we keep thinking, oh, it just is getting worse. It's getting so bad. It's terrible. It's never going to change. And yet at the same time, that is, it almost is, it's mandatory is what he argues 
that it gets really, really bad before anything happens. I mean, if you think about people that are individuals that are in suffering, they need to hit bottom before they evolve. And the same seems to be true with institutions. McLaren says this, a church that has been humbled by disruption and decline may be a less arrogant and presumptuous church. It may have fewer illusions about its own power and centrality. It may become curious. That would be nice. Mm -hmm. Um, It may be less willing to ally with the empires and powers that have long defined it. It may finally admit how much it needs the true power and wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, he ends um, kind of uh, really heightening the point that you made a minute ago, Nathan, about what we do when we are um, privy to a crime. He says this, what do you do when your religion is failing? Do you leave it like a person? Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) This is exactly what you're referring to. Okay, sorry, I digress. Let me go back. What do you do when your religion is failing? Do you leave it like a person running from a crime scene so you won't be implicated or do you stay? Bear witness and help right the wrongs if you possibly can. What do you do when your nation is failing, when your family is failing, when your company is failing or when your economy is failing or when you are failing? Do you give up or do you find the people working to make things better and work alongside them as long as you possibly can? Amen. So that is reason number eight, to stay. Okay, we are going to close up our episode today, unless you have any words of wisdom to end us off with, Nathan. I do not. Okay, you've offered (laughs) many. I depend on you for your words of wisdom. No, you've offered many. You've dropped many many words of knowledge today. Wisdom bombs. That's right. (laughs) Okay, we will go ahead and close now. Thank you all for being here. Next time we have one last episode in this five-part series on do we stay christian so hang in there with us for one more episode and in the meantime if you're interested in learning anything more about how you can be more involved in the work that i do uh, independent of and in addition to this podcast please reach out to me at info at valeriehammaker.com i am uh, currently in the position of putting a wait list together all of the groups are full but that is dynamic and it's often changing so please let me know if you're interested in a synchronous a support group with many people who are right where you are in your faith journey. And uh, those have been fabulous experiences thus far. Also, if you're interested in individual coaching or consults uh, with me or some of my colleagues, reach me at the same address, info at ValerieHammaker.com or on Instagram at uh, Latter-day Struggles Podcast. And if you have not already done so, would you please pause just right now, just pause and review and write a rating on iTunes or Spotify so that other people can know that they're in good hands and they can understand our heart and that we are here to serve and that we are here to help people become more spiritually whole in and around the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's always a pleasure to be with each of you, and I look forward to seeing you guys next time. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.